everybody and welcome to a new year of the Single Seater Space podcast and we were planning on doing this one as a Formula E preview before the season gets underway in Mexico City this weekend. However, we have also pressed the podcast emergency button because... Gunter Steiner has parted ways with Haas F1 team. A bombshell just 10 days into 2024. Gene Haas has become sick of his team principal and has shown him the door. And so here to talk about Formula E and the sacking of Gunter Steiner is myself, James Scott, Single Seater Space's lead editor, alongside Formula E's expert on Single Seater Space, Taron Glazebrook. And um, Taron, we'll start off with uh, Gunter Steiner before we move into um, Formula E because uh, that's the biggest thing that's coming up this weekend. Um, was it expected that Steiner would be shown the door? And in uh, another part of that question is also... Um, it's quite close to the season. It's creeping up on us. Just 50 days until lights out in Bahrain. Do you think Haas have pressed the panic button, um, sacking their team principal of eight years? I don't really think that. We, I mean, we at, at least we didn't expect it. Um, I think it came as a bit a bit of a shock yesterday when um, we heard the rumours in the morning. We saw Gunther being taken down from Haas's website. And um, boom, only a few hours later, we heard that um, he is no longer team principal. Um, as you said, um, it has that they, they haven't really been going anywhere, really, since they came to the spawn 2016. They've kind of been to the lower part of the midfield, if not a complete backmarker like they were last year. And um, I think the main thing was that Gunter and Gene Haas disagreed about the car direction and what direction they wanted to take it and um when you have a person like gene Haas who's chucking in dollars after dollar at Haas f1 team uh you would probably be a little bit annoyed if somebody's telling you no this is where your money should be directing to directed to um gene Haas knows what he's doing and he didn't agree with gunter at all and i think that was the main thing with Haas. their car direction wasn't going in the correct way Yep. And um, I think I'll, I'll come on to this a little bit later because we're going to just work through the actual sort of nitty gritty of what they said. Um, I think you can quite clearly see that it wasn't a friendly decision. Um, Gunter Steiner has been in charge of that team for eight years since their, their introduction to the sport, which seems incredible to say that because they still feel like the new kid on the block that's never really sort of been able to kick on. Um, and the all the Gene Haas said is I'd like to start by extending my thanks to Gunter Steiner for all his hard work over the past decade and I wish him well for the future so barely one and a half lines in the statement saying thank you for, to, to Gunter Steiner so what this quite clearly tells to me is it wasn't an amicable goodbye um, for Gunter Steiner and uh, that's um, it's a it's it's a reasonably large shock I feel like at one point it it, it, it it has been coming they literally have gone nowhere in the last few years I mean they have been on a slippery slope since 2018 and where they actually turned up with a reasonable car and a reasonable direction and then I guess their freshness their newness let them down you know in Australia both cars failed um, in the pit lane and that ruined what was going to be a fourth and sixth place finish and in the end um, you know it cost them a huge amount of points and that season still had highlights i mean grosjean finished fourth in austria um got them plenty of points but 
really, it's been a little bit of a slippery slope since then. Despite a slight brief upturn in 2022, they've finished rock bottom again in 2023. And I think it was going nowhere. It needs fresh direction. It needs fresh vision. Um, team principal that has been appointed for next year is Ayaoka Matsu, who's also been at Haas since its on-track debut in 2016. So knows the team inside out as well. Um I think it's going to be interesting to see how his leadership style differs from Gunter Steiner's leadership style because I think this is what we should talk about next quickly. Um, Gunter Steiner obviously had a very unique way of leading um, and we got an insight into that on uh, Drive to Survive. Taron, what do you think? Um, do you think Gunter Steiner's unique way of doing things ultimately led to his downfall? I mean, one, Drive to Survive is probably going to stop after next year, let's be honest, they're going to be really struggling to find any content without Gunter there. Um, but yeah, as you said, um, Gunter, he, I don't want to use the phrase hot-headed, but he did kind of, he, he, he had that air about him, you know, the, the swear jar, that came very obvious on Drive to Five. It, it was pretty obvious that Gunter, he was a character. And ultimately, when you're in Hass's situation, you kind of need a character that's more like James Val's sort of calm, collected, knows what he's doing. That that is that he's got a future direction that he wants to go, and he will go on and get that direction. Um, as you said, um, Io Io Komatsu, um, he 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 has lots of experience. He's been in F1 for more than twenty years, and. Sure, I I, th I think that he 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 will probably be um a very good person for Haas. You know, um I think Gene Haas was saying that he's very technical, and he based he does things based on t statistics. And um Gene Haas um he went on to say um we we've been in F one for eight years, it's what 160 races, and we've not got we've not even stepped onto a podium yet. Whilst we might have got a pole position at Brazil in pretty you know rogue circumstances. They haven't exactly, you know, gone on and done that extra level performance like, um, you know, teams like Alpine. You know, they were they've they're nowhere, but at least they've gone on and they take the chances whilst they have them. Whilst Haas haven't really, you know, grabbed them by the scruff of the neck, if you like. Um, and I think that's the big thing for Haas at the moment. They need to get a podium to kickstart that run. And the main thing Haas have done in the past is they start the year really well. And then they just tail off completely as car development kind of stops and stutters and, you know, has to then look at it and just say, oh, we've written off this year, we're going to look at next year. And it's just an endless cycle of underperformance from Haas. And hopefully new leadership means that that is no longer the issue. Uh, Komatsu is very technical. He knows what he's doing. Maybe this is a new dawn for Haas. Maybe they're no longer going to be tailing off towards the end of the season when, um, you know, teams are fighting for those, you know, those those single points which make the difference of tens of millions of dollars. And I think that's the main thing for Haas at the moment. Yeah. And I think, look, do you reckon this is almost like strike two for Gene Haas, perhaps. Strike one was quite clearly when um, Grosjean and Magnussen hit each other and ruined very good position in 2019. Uh, a couple of times they had a few on-track skirmishes and um, it was quite clear that Gene Haas was getting sick of it. Strike two now is that the performance has tailed off quite significantly and um, they're 
at the moment, the outlook is pretty pessimistic um, if I was Gene Haas investing my money. Do we think if a strike three comes, and whatever that may be, whether that's sustained poor performance, that Gene Haas may be looking elsewhere and perhaps someone like a Michael Andretti may sweep in with a bid for the team and take control of it? Because um, it's quite clear that really the team is lacking direction. And what I actually want to really pick out on is the fact that Haas isn't an attractive organisation to go to. In If you were a driver, Haas is not the place where you would want to end up. And maybe that's because of the sort of... Maybe that's the, the reasonably toxic leadership environment that was in place and that we all had um, eyes on. And thanks to Drive to Survive, we could see what was unfolding there. Um, but also... Do you not think that even with somewhere like Williams, um, you know, you know where the direction is. There's a lot of proud history in the team. There's a lot of tradition and the team has the capacity to move forward under the right leadership. If you were to go to Alpine, it's a company, it's a factory team and that brings its own sort of benefits, even if you're not, um, even if you're not directly at the front straight away. Whereas with Haas, it, really feels like the team lacks any sort of moving forward, any sort of job security. And really, if if you were a driver, would you just not want to be in Haas at all? Well, Haas have been on the downfall since the 2018 season, as you said. I've just got their statistics up, to be honest with you. Um, uh, when they started in 2016, eighth place in the Constructors. That's a pretty good start. Um, and then 2017, to still finish in P8, to show that you've got the kind of consistency to go from one year to the next kind of... Whilst you may not have gone anywhere, at least you're not you've not you've not gone backwards like many teams do at the start of their um at, at the careers. And 2018 was massive, you know, fifth in the constructors, um, doing performances like you said at Australia, which would have been so amazing. Um, you know, that was kind of the jump in performance that Haas would have been looking for. Uh, so when you came to 2019 with Haas, you would have expected something a bit more like that, maybe even fighting for P4 and the constructors, you know, whilst you may not be with the big three, you may have been trying to make strides towards them. And um, since, uh, since since then, it's gone downhill for them. You know, they, they've not finished above P8 in the championship um, and they finished, what, dead last uh, in the championship for two of the last three years. You know, it's 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 not a good look. And, um, you know, especially Haas, you know, 20 after 2020, when they had, uh, you know, a second poor year in a row, they said stop. And they signed two rookie drivers with Mick Schumacher, Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin stepping in. And um, that was probably one of the worst decisions, to be honest, that they could have made at the time. You know, you've had two bad years. You need a tiny bit of experience to kickstart. You need to you need to get the blood flowing through Haas. You need to give the team a bit of morale after two pretty substandard years. And what we saw then was absolutely dreadful. You know, no points scored the entire year. No Q3, you know, no, not even getting into Q3 once over the course of the year. And... Um, was in 2022 they brought in kevin and you know mick didn't really have his best year 2023 should have been it should have been something a little bit more you have two experienced drivers in the car and they're still finishing last so i think there's something clearly some there there was something wrong with Haas's overall structure i feel because Whilst, um, you know, Nico Hulkberg, he did have a great season. He did have a good season, you know, a good comeback to F1. And Paymag, 
how, how, how do we put K Max twenty twenty three season? It wasn't bad, but then it wasn't good either. So, you know, who knows? I think both drivers will be um, definitely on the chopping block if they don't do well in twenty twenty four, especially with some new talent around. But I think the main thing has. They just need to go forward. And I think there's nothing more that needs to be said about it. Well, I guess for them, the only way is up now. Like, it actually is the only way. Um, and I think one I wanted to pick out is Kevin Magnussen's goodbye message to Gunter Steiner. I don't know if you saw it. He posted it on Twitter. But it just says, thanks, Gunter. Thanks for taking me on the journey in 2017. And thanks for bringing me on board again in 2022. It has been both fun and tremendously challenging, but never boring. So long and all the best. Um... I guess if you kind of read between the lines there, um, I, I, the the tremendously challenging but never boring. Um, hmm. Obviously, Magnussen must have a good amount of respect for him, but that does feel like almost a little bit of a sense of relief, maybe. And I know it sounds bad because someone's lost their job and Gunter Steiner is not the worst person in F1 however you know he has done some made some questionable things um of course hiring Nikita Mazepin perhaps wasn't the best move but also he had his hands perhaps tied behind his back at the same time when the team really needed an injection of cash flow so that's a that's a really tricky one to manage he's not been dealt you say the kindest poker hand did did Gunter Steiner and um really I'm going to ask you, do you think some of the blame has to go towards Gene Haas for maybe provide trying to provide a, for a team to go forward whilst tying anyone in the team's hands behind their back because they're significantly under budget, even in a budget cap era, and, you know, they really just quite simply don't have the resources to move forward. So we can talk for endlessly about how, oh, well, they weren't moving forward, but does some of the blame have to be apportioned towards the man who's making it difficult for them to go forward, for example? It's, it's a difficult decision to make. I, the, I think the pandemic really screwed any hopes of Haas's future, if you like, you know, like it did to lots of teams. Um, money just stopped coming in, and especially when you're when they went through a 2020 season, um, that was you know it wasn't it was it, it was an it was an okay season you know it wasn't amazing by any by any stances you know they they only managed to finish in front of Williams who were um, not exactly doing the best. Gene Haas's leadership, um, you know he he is he he is the kind of the main man at Haas to be honest with you. Whilst he may not be there. He is the guy where all the money's coming from and has were that has fully had that as you said, their hands were fully tied behind their backs after the pandemic when they um they they had no money, they were almost going bankrupt. So the only thing they had to do was sign a pay driver and the the only kind of um pay driver that was kind of there to give them the amount of money needed was Nikita Mazepin. And whilst, um, you know, we, we will look back on that and Haas will look back on that thinking, why did we sign him? Surely there was someone else we could have got on board. Um, I think at the end of the day, when you are stuck in that sort of situation, you can't really look back and say, oh, we could have done this or we could have done that. It is what it is. It's happened. It's passed. You made the decision then. You might be feeling some some of the effects of it now to, to, to such an effect. But at the end of the day, you've just got to move forward. And that's what Haas haven't done at all. 
they've stayed where they are, if not, have gone backwards. And they they need some new blood in the team, I feel now. You know, they they've tried they've tried something new after the pandemic. They've now got two experienced drivers. That clearly hasn't worked. So perhaps something that was needed was a change of leadership. And as much as you might be saying, Gene Haas, has he made some errors? Sure, you know, he has, he has made some errors. You know, I think we saw him, we saw him on Drive 5, you know, Gunter was constantly talking to Gene, constantly talking about talking to him about his own money and um, where he was going in. And like, I think it was very clear Gunter at the time was also under a huge amount of pressure. You know, he knows that Gene is plugging in the money. He wants to show Gene that the car had performance. And 2018 was big for that. Well, that should have been the continuation, and it wasn't. So, obviously, Gunter would have been under huge pressure. Um, and I think, as much as you say, K-Mag was sort of, has kind of gone onto Twitter in a sort of relieved way, I think Gunter might also be quite relieved. You know, he's been under huge pressure for eight years. So, something surely needed to break at some time in Haas, and maybe this is the correct time, you know, for it to happen, you know, just before we're about to enter 2026. With car specs changing, you know, a regulation change, a regulation setup, you need to be set for that to happen if you're going to move forward in the F1 grid. Yeah, um, and I think you make a very valid point actually about Gunter perhaps being relieved because F1 is a high pressure cooker environment, and when things are not going for you, they are definitely not going for you, and um, that uh, that's very difficult. And um, I'm going to leave this. We'll leave. We'll park this for now. Um, and we'll get on to Formula E. But I'm just going to leave you with some quotes from Gene Haas, um, reported on Italian news site Formula Uno, um, which just says, uh, from Gene Haas, there is a perception that we spend a lot less money. We're usually within $10 million of the budget limit. I just think we don't do a very good job of spending that money. A lot of teams have had previous investments in their infrastructure, buildings, equipment, or personnel. Our model was to outsource a lot of that. Of course, they used the Lara chassis, Ferrari engines. They had a good old technical alliance with Ferrari too. Gene says, we spend a lot of money. We haven't exceeded the cap, but we're pretty close to it. I just don't think we're doing a very good job of spending it in the most effective way. We have a great team. We have great engines. We have really great drivers. There's no reason why we are 10th. I can't understand how we can be with all the equipment and people that we have. So quite clearly, Gene believes that the problem lay in the leadership and as a result, Gunter Steiner was laid off from his position as team principal. Um, we'll park that for now then because Formula E gets underway uh, for its season opener in Mexico City this weekend. Um, Taron has released an article on our website, singleseasonspace.co.uk. Remember, you can find all of our content there. Um, talking about things to look out for and you pick out five key things um and i guess we'll go through all of them in uh briefly now and um, we'll try and keep this podcast reasonably short um but uh, we'll go through those things quite quickly um the first thing you wanted to pick up on was a close championship fight of course last year's didn't quite go to the final race um in no small part thanks to sebastian buemi smacking into championship contending teammate nick cassidy and ruining any hope of a championship fight going to the second race and season finale in london but um taron uh it 
it's looking to be an exciting season. Just lay out who the contenders might be, and um, uh, and then you know we'll we'll move on to the next kind of point, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I remember what I said after last year's preseason testing, and you know, Diaspensky were the ones to watch then, and boom, we're looking at this year, and uh, Diaspensky were nowhere last year, so um. You know, you really, really cannot use preseason testing as a marker, um, a proper marker, if you like. But I think main things that we've seen is that Jaguar are the ones to beat. You know, Mitch Evans and Nick Cassidy tops the timing screens on all three days of preseason testing. And they, they, they really, really, really do look good at the moment. Of course, Nick Cassidy, un unlucky last year, you'd feel that he didn't, you know, get, bring that championship to the final round in London. Um, he certainly will be looking for something a little bit more than a runner-up spot. And then, of course, Mitch Evans, you know, he he had a brilliant end to 2024. Two race wins and a second place, I think, in, in, in those final four races. Um, he had a really, really, really strong end to that 2024 season. And he is probably going to be bringing in that momentum into this season. Jake Dennis, of course. You, you've so we call Jaguar. Another team to look out for would be obviously Andretti with Jake Dennis, um, reigning world champion, back for them in season ten. Joined by none other than Norman Nato, the Nissan man who had a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant season last year with a with a with a podium in that second race in Rome, is joining Andretti and. I definitely feel Andretti will be keeping on that second seat. A lot of teams at the front last season, they had a brilliant first driver, but their second driver was not performing very well. And Andretti was the obvious example of that. When we had Andre Lotra, you know, really, really, really not really not performing very well. And um, they, they've signed Norman Nato, who we know is very talented indeed. Third team to watch out for is, of course, Envision Racing, reigning Constructors Champions. Um, of course, Sebastian Buemi is still there. Um, didn't have the best season in 2023. He was their second driver. Um, we'll be looking for a bit more this year. And he is joined by Roman Frines. Frines, of course, driving for ABT Cupra last year. And ABT Cupra were the markers of the grid. But Frans put in some pretty decent performances, so it is going to be something interesting to watch. How is he going to do at a potentially top team? So that's three teams looked at. Another team is Porsche. Now, if we looked at underperformance, underperformers of the 2023 Formula E Championship, I don't think you could look at anyone else other than Porsche. You know, Pascal Verline, you know, back-to-back -back wins in Diria. And looked, you know, he his championship lead was so so comfortable, you know, it, it was it was looking like, you know, if if Pascal just keeps on doing what he's doing, you know, picking up the odd podium and some decent points, he's he's going to be champion. But no, he he really fell away, and um, that is going to be the main thing that Porsche need to keep out for. They need to keep consistency as their best friend because last year they didn't, and. Um, I mentioned them, Dias Penske, they were pre-season favourites in 2023. I just don't feel you can write them off. You know, Jean-Eric Verne had a brilliant season last last year. You know, he, he he still got the race wins despite his teammate Stoffel Van Dorn not exactly having the best um, season uh, after he won that 2022 championship. So, yeah, that, that was the first thing to look out for. Lots of fights at the top, um, but I think, um, I think it was Barclay 
said um, informally, e, you, you, you really, really can't look away from it because it's so competitive. And the fact I've labelled five teams <laughs> out of out of out of the out of the, out of the um, teams that are on the grid as ones that can win this championship, it is pretty obvious that this is going to be a tight season. Hopefully, yeah, and uh, that's of course what we're hoping for, especially with how good last year was. The multiple race winners. I mean, the number of overtakes at Portland. Um, of course, we had the debate about that, but the numbers don't lie. Um, it, the whole season in, in itself was incredibly competitive, and uh, I think that always holds the. Uh, Holds the series in high regard then. Um, another, just a couple of things then that we want to pick up on. Um, we'll have a look at uh, the new tracks um, at the end. But I think one of the key things that you picked out was the new technology. And of course, it was supposed to come in last year, the uh, electric charging, uh, the fast fast charging um, that uh, is going to be implemented um, basically in the same way that you can just see how quickly electric technology is moving that in the same way that uh, in season one of Formula E you had to swap cars mid-race um, which of course caused a bit of a bit of fun um, because of how long the batteries could last now um, with technology that is being implemented there is just quite significantly more um, more scope, um, fast charging, uh, speed records being broken. I think Formula E topped out on the straight in Portland at 172 miles an hour, which is reasonably similar to what IndyCar were doing down the straights. I know the braking distances obviously had to be a little bit longer for Formula E, and um, they were slightly slower through the corners. But in terms of outright pace, the cars are slowly getting there. And will they ever be quicker than F1 in IndyCar? I doubt it. However, it is proving that electric racing certainly um, has a role to play in the future with Formula 1 and IndyCar moving to hybrid engines where well, F1's already gone and IndyCar will be uh, um, having its uh, hybrid engine dawn in the uh, second half of 2024 uh, Formula E is proving that electric racing has a future and Taryn how do you think the fast charging experiment will, will, will go because I look at it in two ways the one way I can see it going is it goes well and it goes foolproof however there is a little bit of me that fears that if something goes wrong with fast charging, the only way it will go wrong is if it goes very wrong. And um, and so I'd just like to hear if you hold the same opinion as me. Um, of course, you're a little bit more clued up in the technological side of um, how Formula E works. Um, what do you think? I mean, I completely agree with you, actually. Um, I think that that's the thing with new technology. It is really, really cool. But at the same time, it can go really, really badly. Um, and I think um, the, the the main thing that Formula E is doing is I know with F one you know they they were pioneers for car safety and the stuff that happened during the twentieth century, especially with automotive technology. F one had a lot of insight to do with that, and I I, th I think that was the main thing that F one did that Formula E is trying to implement. You know, this is a new dawn for electrical car technology, and um, Formula E is its pioneer at the moment, and I think the number one thing at the moment with uh, in our current world is charging times and you know there's nothing more frustrating for electrical car drivers than waiting in uh in in a service station for about 1 hour 32 hours because their car is going to take that long to charge so that that that's the main thing for, te for electrical technology and formula e is being that pioneer to bring in fast charging you know hopefully um hopefully the days are going to be gone where um people are waiting for hours upon end while their car charges and boom we have fast charging in Formula E and 
I, I know they trialed it during preseason testing, and it was actually, you know, it it, it succeeded. I think uh, it it did pretty well. Um, yeah, as you said, you know, electricity, uh, the the kind of dangers of electrical technology, you know, they're they're no less they're no less danger than when re refueling was in Formula One, and we used to see those fires back then. So, hopefully, this goes well. Um, you know that that's that's what you can only hope with new technology these days. Um, but yeah, twenty twenty four, I think, will be interesting to see whether you know if fast charging actually adds anything to the sport. Of course, we have attack mode and stuff like that, and you know that always provides something interesting and intriguing in a race. But fast charging, will it add anything? I guess we can only see this weekend in Mexico. Yeah. And uh, it's certainly something to keep eye on because it just adds a little bit more, I hope, well, it adds a little bit more intrigue. I say that without, we've actually not seen it happen yet, but hopefully it will add just a touch more intrigue. Then last thing to pick up on then is the Formula E calendar. Recently, the Hyderabad E-Prix was cancelled. Uh, that came as, well, not only just a big shock, but also a massive disappointment. Indian driver on the grid, an Indian team on the grid. And India is a massive country with um, a huge amount of passion for most motorsport and really that um that lack of sort of motorsport is really difficult for them i think and i think that's something that hopefully will be rectified but um it sounded like an incredibly complicated situation and well above anything that um uh, i i would kind of get to grips with so uh, all i can do is just sit here and hope that um we come back to Hyderabad or a resolvement can be found, not, maybe not for this year, but perhaps for next year because uh, the Hyderabad E-Prix last year was a good event, I think. I think it was reasonably well regarded as being a success and so it would be a shame to see it just be a flash in the pan. However, we have new places to go. Um, we're going to Mizano, China returns. Um, I think I'm right in saying that going to Japan as well, um, which is also new. Uh, so that's lots of different um things lots of different uh parts to the calendar portland's getting two races not just the one um taron we'll finish off this podcast by doing a couple of little predictions and this year we will keep a track of the predictions league because um i've said it would be good right so the thing i want you to predict is um what the formula e race with uh, the most overtakes is going to be, but you can't say Portland because that, that I feel like that'll be a given just with what we saw last year. Uh, and then second thing to predict is uh, your pole position and race winner in Mexico this weekend. You realize I'm going to quote you on the fact that we're going to keep track of this predictions league because last year we did not do that at all. Um, uh, I think the race with most overtakes is going to be Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, I think last season, Sao Paulo was an incredible spectacle. You know, it, it, I think the main thing that made it so good was the fact there were clear overtaking zones and Formula E just decided that every single place was an overtaking zone. And that was just absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing to see. Um, so I'll say Sao Paulo has the most overtakes. Um Pole position, you chucked this at me. I've not thought about it at all. Um, I'm gonna say Nick Cassidy pole, and uh, then race winner. Um, who, 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 I th I, I'm not. I'm not gonna say Jake Dennis. I just. I don't feel he's gonna. You know, start this season too well. I think he'll come into it later on. Um, 
I'll say his Jaguar teammate Mitch Evans wins in Mexico. I'm saying Jaguar have a have a really really good start to the season, and I hope I've not jinxed them too badly. I was also going to say Mitch Evans. That's really that's really put a spanner in. Uh, I I'm going to go for season starter before it tailed off. I think Pascal Verline likes to flag pole position and a win in Mexico. Um, I, I that's 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 my prediction. And then I guess the race that has the most overtakes, I reckon, will be Shanghai. Now I know that the longest straight in Formula One, well, until Vegas is not being used, right? However, I do think that the straight down into turn one is incredibly lengthy, and turn six has an impressive hairpin as well. Of course, we've seen many great overtakes on that in Formula One, and I do just think that Shanghai International Circuit, even in its sort of short-form layout, if you were playing the Formula One game, um, was uh, is a viable option for that. And uh, yeah, so I think uh, it will be Shanghai International Circuit um, that'll provide the most uh, overtakes in this Formula E campaign. But I can't wait for that to go terribly wrong because we know how good we are at predicting things. And um, that is the Single Seater Spaces podcast's New Year's resolution. We will, one, keep track of the Predictions League and, two, be better at predicting things. And on that note, thanks to Taryn for joining me for this week's episode of the podcast. We hit the emergency button after the news yesterday. Um, We will, of course, bring you all the build-up to Formula One and IndyCar as they come our way in the next six weeks or so. Um, Before then, also talking about Formula E as it kicks off in Mexico City this weekend. Um, We will see you every Thursday as we do and uh, we may hit the emergency button once or twice if something massive happens but um, this one actually lined up quite nicely with podcast recording anyway. Thank you to Taryn for joining me on this episode and uh, we will catch you next week. Goodbye.